Amen, man, that's awesome stuff. Great worship this morning. We are, uh, man, glad to be back in the sanctuary a little bit. I mean, it's good and bad, right? It's kind of nice being close to each other. You notice we didn't put as many chairs in here, right? That's so we could get Aaron Slater closer to the front. Did he put another line? Butter. I'm trying to disciple him, Will. We'll talk after, man. I know, bro. I, I shouldn't have put them chairs in the back of the church. I knew if I put them back, I actually put, wrote your name on the bottom of one of them. I knew that was going to happen. Now, thanks to everybody that uh, helped this week, man. And, just, uh, and for those of you who wanted to help, it's, uh, you know, we were able to get enough done to get us in here today. and Got a lot of work left to do, but we don't care about the church building, right? I mean, we've had, we've had some great times. It was sweet to be in the fellowship hall and be close to each other and experience each other a little bit more uh, in a little more uh, intimate setting. But it's good to be back in here and just, uh, man, worship was good. It's nice to be able to stand up and worship. It kind of adds a, new, a, new, uh, a good element, right? I enjoyed it. Uh, so anyway, good to be back, man, excited about what the Lord's doing. So we're in a stage right now in our church where uh, by the way, we have a lot of folks visiting today, so I'm going to try to be sensitive to you uh, also. Just, uh, you know, it's been a blessing to be able to see new, folk, new faces coming in uh, over the last few weeks, and I, I really believe the Lord is doing something here. So I kind of give you guys a heads up of where we are and what, what the Lord is doing in our body right now. We have, uh, as, a, as a church, come to the place where we, we're confident that, that God's vision for us this year is to be a community that blesses. That's, that's our theme for the year, to be a community that blesses. And so we're, we're first of all, wanting to look at what does it mean to be a community because uh, I'm, I'm convinced, really, and the more I read and the more I study uh, this idea, I'm convinced that, that not only are churches not really communities the way the Bible describes the community, but the gathering place is not a community the way the Bible describes community. Uh, it's been a long time since I've uh, been able to look at scripture and how it relates to the church and say that I believe the gathering place is falling really woefully short. And I think this is where we're falling short. So we're going to be spending a lot of time this year talking about what it means to be a community, a biblical community. And so I hope you guys will plug into this because uh, this is definitely an area of need for us as a church. Uh, we're, I know for those, again, those of you that are visiting and, and with us, we are not a perfect church. I'm not saying that. We've had a lot of challenges in the Word. But there are a lot of things the Lord has called us to do that none of us have done before in church. I've been in the ministry for 35 years, and I've, you know, this is a holy experiment. It really is. We're asking God, how do we flesh out what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be the body of Christ? And, and God has been giving us some really uh, beautiful insights into what it means to be his children and to be his church. So what we're doing right now is we're, we, are, we are starting to walk through the book of Acts. Now, I say we're starting. We read, we'd had one sermon in the book of Acts so far. And then we've, uh, what we did in that one sermon is we looked at the prerequisites, if you will, or the things that Jesus did with his disciples to prepare them for this great movement of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts at Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit and all the things that followed. Uh, so we looked at the prerequisites of that, and we find ourselves in the story. We really do. As a church, we, we see how God has moved us 
as a church over the last 10 years, really, for some of us, but for the last three years for Gathering Place West, how God has moved us to a place of uh, where we are ready to encounter God in a powerful way and the Holy Spirit, ready for the Holy Spirit to move in a powerful way, that God has done some of the same kinds of preparations for us that he did for the disciples. And so we looked at what the Spirit did, and then the Spirit came and everything was set. The Spirit showed up uh, in, in the book of Acts, came on every person, every one of the disciples in that upper room, and, and, then, and then God brought around them people from every nation in Jerusalem. He brought them all to the place where this movement was. And we, we just see ourselves in that story, that God is giving all of us our own personal manifestations of the Holy Spirit, that we, we are seeing and experiencing God in very personal ways. And, and those ways have not been limited in any way. The Holy Spirit has been moving and working and speaking and guiding, particularly in the way of abiding in Him, that, that the Holy Spirit, Spirit guides us in His Word and gives us truth, that His Holy Spirit, moment by moment throughout the day, gives us wisdom about what to do and what not to do. And when we obey the Holy Spirit's promptings, that, that God does something in our lives that only He can do. That He shows up in a powerful way that, that we know is God. It's God exclusive, right? Y'all with me this morning? Say, oh, yeah. Okay. So we're, we're moving with God. And, and the ultimate fruit of that abiding is that we get to know God, not intellectually, not uh, academically, but we get to know God experientially. And that's what the disciples had, and that's what God is giving us. And so we are ready for that, man. We're so ready for the Holy Spirit to have his way, but not only to touch us personally, but ultimately, almost immediately, well, immediately, <laughs> the disciples, those 120 moved out of the upper room and moved into the, the, the public. And immediately, they began to speak the words that, that the Holy Spirit put on the, into their mouths. And they began to demonstrate a whole different kind of lifestyle. Uh, I'm, it was radically different for them. And that's the community that we're going to be talking about. So we're studying the book of Acts for that reason. So the Holy Spirit came, we, he, everything was prepared, and we are, we are accounting ourselves as a part of that story, right? But in addition to that, all the way through the book of Acts, in the very beginning of the, the very first story that we talked about, not only was the Holy Spirit there, but there was another spiritual world at work. Satan was already here and already at work, and he has not been uh, removed from the earth. God, as we've looked at numerous times, God casts him to the earth and allows him to remain here, and he is the prince of the power of the air, and God gives him the freedom to move and to work on the earth, ultimately to show, uh, to show him what God could do, that what, God, what he wouldn't allow God to do in his life, because he wanted to be God, that God can do through a lesser being, a man, rather than an angel, that God could do through us and do on in the enemy's territory, on his home turf. And so God's showing up the devil uh, on his home turf. But what we've also found is that throughout Scripture and, and definitely in the, in the church today and in the church in the south and churches all around us in this town and us included, that the enemy is still using tactics that are effective and we are falling prey to him day in and day out. We're constantly... Uh, losing the battle, not because, we, not because we haven't already won the war, right? We have victory. We're not fighting from the place. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. But Satan keeps it in our minds that we're losers and that, that, that he's got us and that God doesn't love us and he lies and he throws his deceit 
our way and his hosts of demonic forces on the earth are working to distract us. And so we need to know as we move into the book of Acts and as we begin to be determined to be a church that's going to walk with God in community and in a way that impacts the people that are around us, the watching world around us, in the places where we work, in the neighborhoods where we live, in the, in the places where we eat, all, everybody that's around us, the coffee shop where we drink, uh, all of that, where, where, wherever we are, that, that God is going to use us to impact our world, and ultimately that, that it has the potential to spread throughout the world. I believe that God has a great work that's on the horizon, and I believe he wants to use this little bitty church to impact the world in that way, and I hope he can put that in your heart to believe also. That is the vision of us being a community that blesses. So we've been talking about spiritual warfare. We've taken a, a kind of a recess, if you were a sabbatical from the book of Acts after one sermon, and we've moved into the book of Ephesians where Paul talks about spiritual warfare in chapter 6, and we've, we've been unpacking that or unfolding that over the last uh, few weeks, and today will probably be our last message in that, and then we'll jump back into Acts. I say probably. There's a possibility of one more. Uh, but let's pick up where we left off, because what we're looking for is what do we do when the enemy is, uh, is, is after us, okay? And we're going to talk about how he's after us here in just a minute, uh, reminding ourselves of what we studied last week. But let's read our passage today. Ephesians chapter 6, uh, main focus will be in verses 16 through 18. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So last week, we looked at, uh, we've been studying this book called Invisible War by Chip Ingram. And according to Chip, who wrote the book uh, that, that we're using as our guide in this study, there's uh, the great majority of our spiritual warfare need never go beyond the regular just day-to-day practice of living out our position in Christ. And we talked about uh, the basic armor of God, that when we have the armor of God, we are prepared for the great majority of spiritual warfare that we're going to face. Our practice, of, as we've been trying to appropriate that spiritual armor the last couple of weeks, our practice of what Paul's metaphor of spiritual armor is, that it protects us from Satan's ongoing attempts to break our fellowship with Jesus, and as a result, to get us to the point where we have, our, our impact is minimalized, if not thwarted completely. And so we looked at that, but, that we, but last week we talked about the fact that there are times when we need to move beyond just standing firm in our armor, as Paul describes in the first part of this chapter. There are times when we need to engage the enemy in actual combat. And so last week we started talking about uh, the different types of, of things that God has given us to do battle when, when it gets beyond just the standing firm phase, when Satan comes after us. And we started by looking at particular times when Satan does attack. And we won't go into detail. If you want to go back to last week's message, though, if this piques your interest, go listen to last week's podcast. And, and I, I talk about each of these and give biblical references to support them. But just to remind us, uh, this last, last week, and by the way, in life groups, I would encourage you, if you're not in life groups, to get in life groups. Great discussion went on last week with these five and the ones that we were able to be a part of 
uh, in these five different areas where Satan goes on the attack. It gets beyond just standing firm. That, that it seems almost as if Satan himself, and sometimes it is, I'm sure, maybe. I don't know that we get his attention, but we definitely get demonic uh, oppression. And Satan is sending his demons with particularly uh, effective fiery darts into our lives. When does he do that? First of all, whenever we're taking significant steps for spiritual growth. Now, most of you have made a decision in your life to take some, some specific steps towards spiritual growth. You have made a decision to abide in Christ, which means you are diving into the Word of God and you're asking God for direction and you're, and you're, being, you're asking God to make you sensitive to His Spirit's leadership every day and you're asking Him to empower you to obey those things that He shows you to do. We're putting our faith into action. We're moving all these ideas about God from our heads to our, to our experience. Satan hates that. He hates that. No wonder he's attacking because so many of you are working at that and you, you've, you've had a hard time even doing that because Satan's after you. So he's on, the, on their prowl. We need to engage the enemy whenever we decide we're going to go after God. And so get ready, church. Another time is when we're invading enemy territory through either you know, evangelism or some type of, of movement of God, which again, you know, God has called us to do something, to be a community that blesses. And look, Paul was under constant attack because he was not standing still. He was going, taking the message of Christ to, to the world. And so all these things that Paul experienced, get ready. Satan hates that whenever we are determined not to sit still and not just soak and absorb everything for ourselves in our little small groups, and to huddle together and eat a good meal, and to talk about the, de- the, the depths of Scripture, which is all good. When we start making an application in a way that's going to change the community around us, get ready. And we are telling God that we are willing to join Him in this, that we are going to be obedient as a church and go after that, so Satan hates that. He's after us. Another is when we expose Satan for who he really is. Well, enough said, right? We've spent four weeks exposing Satan for who he really is. He hates that. He's after us. And I, I'm sorry that you've had to face the opposition that you faced, but we're trying to give you the, the tools to stand firm. You have the armor, and we talked last week about the shield of faith in these particular times of engaging. So it's coming. Welcome to the gathering place. That's all I can say. Welcome to the gathering place, West. You want to be a part? Get ready. Another, a fourth time is when we repent and make a clean break with the world. And some of you have done that. You've, you've repented of sin in your life, and you've making, you're making a clean break with what Scripture says is sin, and you're, and you're going after God. And when you make a clean break, are you trying to make a, a clean break with the world? Then guess what? Satan's going to bring that sin back over and over again. Those long-held sin patterns in your life, those flesh patterns, those pet sins that you've had a hard time getting rid of, they're coming back. I mean, the temptations are going to be there. Now, how you, how you respond to that is up to you because you have victory already. But they're coming back. Get ready for those attacks. Those places where you're weak, are, Satan will come and attack you again in those same places. And then number five, when God is pre- preparing us individually or corporately for a great work for his glory, very similar to number one. Only it's not individually, it's corporately, and God is doing that in our church. So the passage that we've been studying speaks about how to engage the enemy in these moments. And first of all, we take up the shield of faith we talked about last week. When we start to engage the enemy, the first thing we need to do is take up the shield of faith to extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy, those temptations 
that hit us where we've been weak and where he comes at us individually. The shield of faith is that super thick, multi-layered, leather-covered shield that has layers that adds further protection against the assault. And we talked about last week the need that we appropriate our faith. And appropriating our faith means we hear the Word of God, we do what He says, He shows up, and then we grow. So God gives us a challenge in our lives about, some, about a relationship and what He tells us to do in relationship to our, our spouses, for instance. Sounds like it's not going to be good for us. Sounds like our spouse is going to take advantage of it. We're already fighting, but I've been selfish, and so I make a decision to follow God instead, to obey what He says, and then God shows up and changes my spouse. And I'm blown away by it. I'm thinking, how did, because that, and she's a better woman. What, what happened? I obeyed what God said, and God did what I couldn't do. God did what all my trying to get done. I was trying to get stuff for myself. Now, all of a sudden, I have a woman who wants to serve me all the time. How did that happen? It's when I did what God said to do. And so I start learning stuff about God. Well, then I deep, my faith in God deepens. God works in us to build up our faith, but he does it when we obey what he says, and then he finishes his work in us. And so it builds up our breastplate of righteousness. That's what it is. The breastplate of righteousness is living, is righteous living, not just, it's rooted in the righteousness of Christ. Don't get me wrong, it's all grace here, but it is righteous living. And when we live a righteous life, we obey Christ to, to protect ourselves from the enemy, but take it the next step. Get outside the breastplate of righteousness, and you got a shield in front of you that can, that these fiery darts that come at us are so directed at the right things in our lives, the sins in our lives that we're so prone to. And Satan shoots those darts at us whenever we're doing these five things and moving with God into into battle and moving with God to make a difference in the world and and moving with God to to let the Holy Spirit have control of our lives. And and those darts get put out. And how does that happen? We we continue to obey God. We continue to get to know God. And every time that you obey God and your faith gets deeper in one area, then he challenges you for another area. And then you obey in that area. So I obeyed in, my, in, in the relationship to my spouse, and God showed me how awesome he was and how trustworthy he was, and I put my faith in him for my finances. And then he takes care of that in a way that blows my mind, challenges me, it challenges my faith to do something with my money that... Uh, that I never did before, and I do it, and God shows up and takes care of me, and I realize that he's my provider, so one more layer of faith, and then he, he in my relationship with my kids, he tells me to do something that goes against my, my natural inclination, and, and I, I think, oh, well, I, I don't, that doesn't seem like the right thing to do. Is that really God? Is it not God? And I think, and then God shows me, yes, it is me, and I'm thinking again, okay, I've been here before. I was there with my marriage. I was there with my finances, and now I'm here with my kids, and just take the category, my job, uh, you know, my job security, all these different things that, that Satan attacks us in. And, and the more we obey, it moves beyond that breastplate of righteousness and gives us a shield of faith. And Satan has nothing that he can throw at us. And so we become like Paul who says, it doesn't matter whether I'm a base or whether I'm in struggling with all these, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm shipwrecked or I'm being stoned or whatever the case may be, uh, taking lashes uh, or if I have plenty, like he did numerous times in his ministry as well, where I'm doing well, I've got plenty of money, got plenty of help, everybody's, you know, it seems like God's uh, doing great things around me, regardless, it doesn't matter what it is, I am content. That only comes 
when we build up our shield of faith. Otherwise, Satan will find your weakness, and he will hit you where you're weak. He's good at it. Don't think he doesn't know you. He knows you probably better than you know yourself. But God has already defeated him. So the shield of faith, only the shield of faith, when we allow God to give us the strength to apply the truths that he's given us in our lives, are going to put out those flaming arrows. But there's a couple of other things that he says. Now we're going to, those are all defensive weapons, but we're fixing to get into some offensive weapons today. One more defensive weapon, though. In verse 17, he says, And take the helmet of salvation which is the, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The helmet protects the head, okay, of the soldier. And it protects the mind of the believer. Now, we've already talked a little bit about this. Uh, first of all, it's the helmet of salvation. And we've already spoken about knowing the truth about our salvation. So he's not talking about that kind of, about salvation from that viewpoint. The feet being shod with the gospel of Christ is knowing our firm, that we stand firm in the gospel of Jesus, that our salvation is secure not because of our works or our ability to continue to maintain works or impress God, but because of what Christ did on the cross. We have salvation, so we stand firm with those spikes down in the ground. But in this one, he's talking about ongoing attacks of the enemy. And it's, and it's great the way these two work together. So I want you to visualize for yourself hand-to-hand combat. Okay, now, we're, now they're getting, the enemy's close enough to us. We're, we're in close proximity with one another. And, and so we, we need our helmet to protect from all the blows of the enemy who's right there on us. And we need our sword, which is a short sword, uh, a, a hand-battling sword, to be able to manipulate and use skillfully uh, to, to fight against the enemy. So we're, this is hand-to-hand combat. Now we're uh, having severe battle. And, and in this particular case, the, the type of salvation that he's talking about is not the salvation, uh, it's not saving us from our sins uh, for eternity. It's not, it's not the kind of salvation that we have in the moment when Christ uh, redeems us and he comes to live inside of us. It is the ongoing uh, sanctification that comes. It's the ongoing salvation from sin that comes in hand-to-hand battle. It, it, it's the, it's the, the sins that Satan puts the fears that he puts in our minds, the things that he puts in our brains uh, to get us to sin, convincing us that, that God's a liar or that, that we are something that we're not, convincing us that we're weak or, or that we don't have all the things that God says that we have in Scripture. And so it's, all of that battle happens, and we talked about this when we were going through our, our uh, messages on, uh, uh, at the end of the year, in the Advent season. We talked about this, but it's, let's just remind ourselves, okay, from these Scriptures but it's the battle that goes on between our ears. That's why the helmet of salvation is so important. It, it, it's, the, it's the ongoing truth that combats the enemy's lies. And so it's hand-to-hand combat. It's real life. It's every day. It's right now. It's, it's this very second in this very building right now while the word is being preached where your brain is and what Satan can do with your head instead of you focusing in and taking this word into your soul and making an application in your life you know, you were distracted. How does that happen? It happens right here between the ears. It's just, it's those little subtle things, but it's hand-to-hand combat. He hates you. He's after you. You are after God, and you, are, you want to be a church that makes a difference. And so Satan's taken, he's after us. So the helmet of salvation. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, we read this a few, uh, well, at the end of the year. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
For it is God who works in you both to will and to act according or work for his good pleasure. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So this is the kind of salvation he's talking about. It's not a salvation that uh, secures our eternal uh, place with God in heaven. It's the salvation that on, that's ongoing. It's working out our salvation. This is the work, the hand-to-hand combat that happens. He goes on in, uh, in verse 14 through 16 to tell us what will be the result of this. If we do this hand-to-hand combat, then, then the, the church at Philippi, where there's a lot of disputing going on in the church, and this is what Paul says. He says, do all things without grumbling and disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. That's us. This picture here is a, is a combination of protection and attack which is used in hand-to-hand combat. It's a combination of taking blows and giving blows. And since we're fighting from the place of victory, Satan, Satan's blows will never be fatal to us. Satan's blows don't have to have any impact on you. Your helmet of protection is there. Walk in the truth. When the attack comes, take that lie captive and attack it with the truth, which is your sword. Satan's blows will not be fatal, but our blows can and will destroy Satan's attacks. He is destroyed by our use of the sword. Now, our defensive stand, the helmet of salvation, is what I spoke about earlier in the Advent series, right? And again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, let's look at what what happens when the attack comes hand-to-hand. Satan's after you because you're after God. He comes to you. He attacks where you're weak. And here's what Paul tells us to do in that battle. Here's what we do between the ears. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 6. For though we walk in the flesh, remember, we are not waging war according to the flesh, church. Right? This is a spiritual battle. It's an unseen world. It's an invisible war. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to what? Destroy strongholds. We destroy what? What are the strongholds? Arguments, where does that happen? Right here, between the ears. We destroy every argument, every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive, opinions, knowledge, thoughts, all happen between the ears. That's where Satan attacks us. So our battle is not a fleshly battle. We can't use a real sword to fight him. We use the word of God. And so here's what he says to do. We have to be ready to punish every disobedience when our obedience is complete. So we take thoughts captive. It's the helmet of salvation. And we make it obedient to Christ. And that's where our obedience is complete. And that's where we learn to punish the same disobedience that keeps coming over and over again. It gets punished every time it shows its, its head again. When that temptation comes, we punish it. That disobedience gets punished. That's what he's talking about here. That describes what we do in the moment. But we need to make sure that our sword is sharp in church. We've talked about this over and over again. You want to talk about our, our, our weapon, our offensive weapon. It's the sword and the spirit. We need to set our mind on the things of the spirit. Or Satan is going to easily cause us to set our mind on the things of the flesh. He has our minds. Our default is our flesh, uh, the gray matter in our heads is 
is still a part of this body of sin. Our bodies have not yet been renewed, and so that gray matter thinks certain ways. It, 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 uh, it, uh, all these different things that he talked about in this passage, it, um, it thinks different ways. It, what, what are they? I've lost it. Uh, it gives certain opinions that, that raise themselves up against the knowledge of God. It has these different thoughts and ideas that are not from God. That's the natural tendency of our physical bodies that wage war against our minds. And so that battle's going on. And so we need to know the truth if we're going to be free of the grasp of the enemy. Picture the counter moves, uh, that these counter moves, uh, picture counter moves to hand-to-hand combat. Uh, some of you might be into uh, MMA or mixed martial arts. Have some watched some of that. Got to confess I enjoy that. Watch people getting beat up. But you've got to visualize that. Because what happens in those, if you've ever watched the, like the, the, um, the, the, the one where they, they train all these guys and then they fight and one becomes the winner and then he goes on to miss mar- mix martial arts. So they show all the little battles in between and they show how the training goes on. And the training is very specific. It might seem random to you, but when one guy gets another guy in a chokehold, there's a very specific way to get out of that chokehold. When he, when he gets him up against the, the, the fence... Uh, you know, and starts to work him, there's a very specific way to break out of that. There are ways to protect yourself and there are ways to, to counter what the enemy is doing. And we need to know what our counter is. And the counter is that we get the truth in our brain for every opportunity that Satan would throw at us, every temptation, every sin that he throws at us. We need to get the counter move in our heads. Y'all with me? There is something in God's Word that's there to, for you to use in an attack against the enemy. We need to apply those things. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 to 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For, the mind set, uh, this, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So, once again, we need to speak practically about setting our minds. This is a something we do. This is a something we do. When he says set, that is, that's an understood you. You set your mind. You, we need to do this. There's something for us to do here. We, we need to get our minds filled with the truth of God's Word. Uh, you know, start in the areas where, you're, where your attacks are coming right now. Whatever it is that Satan's attacking you, wherever he's ta- attacking you, whatever sin that he's after for you, or whatever lie he's telling you, or deception he's giving you, get in the Word and start looking for truth to combat it. Uh, I, I got a text message last night. I didn't listen to it to this morning because I went to bed at 8.30. I hate to confess that, but yeah, that's me. So don't call my house after 8.30. I got in bed at 8.30 last night, so this morning I found a, a, a text message from our missionaries in, in uh, Tennessee, the Davy Funderburg, and they had a beautiful meeting last night. By the way, their home church, they have a home church now, and they have a group that's meeting, and last night another home church and got together with them, and they had a worship experience together, which was awesome. And, you know, the, God's moving and doing what he, what he told them he would do in East Tennessee. But he sent one of the songs this morning uh, that was 
uh, I forgot the name of the song, but it's by Upper Room, and it was just so awesome. It was so right on target, but it's one that I'm going to listen to. On, I'm going to listen to regularly, and I'll, I'll get the name of it before we close. Today, I'll give it to you. Don't let me forget that. It's Defender by Upper Room. That's it, Defender. Thank you. Good. Uh, yeah, Defender by Upper Room. Get it. Put it in your brain. How do we fill our minds with the things of the Spirit? How do we set our minds on the things of the Spirit instead of the things of the flesh? You don't have to set your mind on the things of the flesh. Your mind is already set on the things of the flesh. We need to retrain our minds and fill our minds with the things of the Spirit. How do you do that? Worship is a great way to do it. Music is a great way to do it. Find songs. Go get Defender and look at what it says. Man, you need to be reminded every day this is what the enemy does or what Jesus does. He goes, defeats the enemy, and brings his head. That song says he brings his head, I think, doesn't it? Yeah, it says something like that. He's bringing his head. He cuts his head off and brings it back. It's like he's the man. Don't think of it, don't think of Satan's anywhere close in, in power to God. He's not. But, but get you some songs that you listen to. Maybe that's too graphic for some of you. But go get you some, right? <laughs> or when you're watching MMA, you think, let the Spirit teach you some moves, right? Uh, you know, whatever, but fill your mind with the things of the Spirit. So prayer. Worship, music, personal time in the Word, not just trying to impress God by how much you read, but read some Word that applies to where you are and get it in your spirit. Get it ready. Put it, ask the Lord to move that stuff into your heart so you're ready to do battle. Ask God to give you Scripture that applies to today. He does it all the time. He will do it every day if you need it, if you'll just get in the Word. So what does Satan do for us? He keeps us out of the Word. That's your sword right? So we need to fill our minds with the, with the Word of God so that we can do battle. So prayer, worship, music, scripture study, memory, fellowship with believers is another way. Get with your life groups. Quit missing life group. Don't let anything keep you away. Be here and worship together. Uh, get, get together with believers because there's things that are going to go on when the church is together that will be unique every time we meet that God wants to do in your life. So don't do it because you have to. Do it because you want to do spiritual battle. You want to be a part of God's work, and there's joy at the end of that. So Ingram says this. He says, Christians who are not filling their minds with the Scripture are like warriors going to battle without a helmet. The sword defeats the enemy, and our helmet is the truth of God's Scripture, and our sword is the truth of God's Scripture. It's all about the Scripture. And, and we use it in close hand-to-hand combat. Now, Paul says the sword in this passage is the Word of God. I want to give you a, a, a little bit, a little lesson on this particular word. We don't do this much here, but the, this word is the rhema word of God. It is not just the word uh, uh, that we put in our heads. It's not the written word. It's the rhema word. It is the spoken words given to us by the Spirit in the moment. Now, I want to make sure everybody's with me. Y'all with me? Say, oh, yeah. All right, sit up in your spirit and get this in your brain. This is a different kind of word than just the written word. And you read the word and get it, you get it up, but you know what? You get that stuff in your brain, but you know what? You know how that word, how you remember that word in the moment? You know how it gets in your brain for good? And you know how you know when to apply it? It's the rhema word. It's the Holy Spirit taking that truth from God's Word and putting it in your brain in the, time, in the moment that you need it. Forgot the move? Guess what? This ain't an MMA. God's there with you. He's going to give you the move, and He's going to empower you to use it. And you win, because you already won. Y'all with me? All right, the rhema word is that moment-to-moment, 
prompting of the Holy Spirit, putting the word in your mind that you need for that particular fight or that battle. Rayanne said, amen. We need that, guys. The truth of God's word quoted and applied in a, to a specific lie or deception of the enemy is what we need. It's what allows us to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. It's the rhema word. So Paul says, I mean, uh, David says this, a man after God's heart says this in Psalm 119. Two, per, two verses from Psalm 119. 105, you know it. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light into my path. It's, that is the ongoing rhema word of God. It is every second, every moment of every day, even when he's out tending sheep, which nobody would think he needs God to help him with that, and God tells him what to do. So he defeats a lion because God says do it. Defeats him with his bare hands because God gives him the power to do it. And a bear. And then ultimately God uses those experiences to build a shield so that when he comes against Goliath, he says he's an uncircumcised Philistine who's shouting defiance against the God of Israel. And I'm going to feed his body to the birds of the air and the beasts of the fields. Or God will. So that they will know that there's people watching here will know there's a God in Israel. That's the rhema word of God. Paul, I mean, uh, David says, God, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light in my path. It's every moment, every day. And he says in verse 9 through 11, by the way, all of Psalm 119 is about the word of God. Great, the longest, longest chapter in the Bible. But look at what he says in verses 9 through 11. Again, you know these. How can a young man keep his way pure? Okay, this is what we're talking about, hand-to-hand battle. The enemy's after us. How do we keep our, our way pure? How do we live a pure life? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We've got to get the word of God in our brains, and God will empower us to do that. And then we've got to allow the spirit of God to show us which move to, to use when we're in battle and hand-to-hand combat with the enemy. This is the work of God. He renews our minds as we do battle with the enemy. He takes truth from, from the Word, and he puts it in an application. He takes the truth, and all of a sudden, we know the truth. We know it better than the greatest theologian that ever lived if all they did was study the Word and never put it into practice. Look, I don't care who you are how much you know the Word of God. If, if you get the Word of God and you put it into practice in your life the way the Spirit tells you to, in a moment of battle against the enemy, hand-to-hand combat, then you're going to know God. You're really going to know God. And you'll be able to take that truth and defeat the lies and deceptions of the enemy in ongoing battles. So, again, we're punishing dis- dis- disobedience. We're able to discern how much better the will of God is than the ways of the world. And we begin to find joy in his way. And we begin to live in that. That's what God wants for us as a church. Romans, and Paul, Paul says this in Romans. He says in verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And that word, be transformed, is metamorpho. Remember that? It's the same word that for what? Same word for what? Metamorpho is a, is, a, is a foundational word for what word do we know? Metamorphosis, right. It's a transformation that a, a caterpillar goes, goes through when he's inside of a cocoon. How much work is that for the caterpillar? I mean, for the, for, the, for the worm, nothing. I mean, he covers himself up the way he's designed to do, and then he just sits there. 
and tr- gets transformed. It is a passive transformation. It is God working his miracle in the life of that little worm and making it something beautiful. And that's, that word is what he uses here. Don't. He says, quit pouring yourself into the ways of the world, which we do that. That's us. That's active. But he said, instead, be transformed. How? By the renewing of your minds. So being transformed is not something we do. We just keep read the word, and then the Holy Spirit, through our actions with God and through our fights against the enemy day in and day out, he transforms our minds. We are being transformed. It is salvation. It is ongoing salvation. It is, it is us working out our salvation. Well, that's good stuff. I hope you guys are lo- that's locking in for you. So protect your brain by being proactive. Know the truth. And by applying it to the lives of the enemy, moment by moment, day by day, as he attacks you, and you're going to discover that with each attack, what Paul described in, second, in, in Romans 12 too, you will prove the will of God is good and perfect and acceptable. And this is our worship. This is our reasonable service of worship, is to not pour ourselves into the world anymore, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Let God transform us by walking in obedience. Fill your minds with the word of God. All right, one other thing he says, verses 17 and 18. Let's read it again. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Prayer in the Spirit has a direct impact on spiritual warfare. Praying in the Spirit has a direct impact on spiritual warfare. Now, there's lots of ideas about what it means to pray in the Spirit. Let me just simplify it for all of us. First of all, the Holy Spirit is always praying for us in words that we can't understand. So the Holy Spirit is communicating with God. No matter what we say, He is communicating the right stuff to God. God is not dependent upon us saying the right words in order for us to get what we need from from God. The Holy Spirit is doing that for us. So no matter what you say, the Holy Spirit is already praying for you. So that's praying in the Spirit, first of all. If you're a child of God, you are praying in the Spirit all the time. If you pray at all, you're praying in the Spirit. He's changing your words to be what God wants. All right? But in addition to that, the other thing is seeking the Spirit in prayer. What do I need to pray for in regard to Bethany's cancer. How do I pray for Bethany's cancer? I asked God that. God said, pray for her healing because I'm going to heal her. So I went to Bethany and we, Talaf and I, prayed over her and told her that God said she's going to be healed. So that's what God said. Now, I, I would have hated it if I'd had to go and say, God said you're not going to make it. You know, I don't know that I would have gone to say that to her, but I would have prayed for it. I have prayed. Matter of fact, one time a buddy of mine and I went to pray for two people in nursing homes, or one in a hospital, one in a nursing home the same day and prayed for their death that day in front of, with the family because God said they were going to die, and they needed to die. And some of the family members didn't want that, but we prayed for it and in, prayed publicly for it, and they both died that night. That's answered prayer. That's praying in the Spirit. It's not something I want to pray, but it's what God asked me. God led me to pray because I'm not going to pray against what God wants to do, right? Now, some of that I'm not going to make public. In fact, I at times, I regret that I did that one publicly because a couple of the family members weren't happy about it. And Rowdy told me if he's ever in the hospital, he doesn't want me to pray for him. So <laughs> I lost my ministry of prayer with my buddy, right? Uh, so, but, but praying in the Spirit, let's ask God, God, what is your will? So, you know, it's not always God's will for us to be healed, for instance. We've, we've had people come in our church, obviously, and they've asked for prayer for healing, and miraculous healing has happened because God said that they were going to be healed. We're going to see that in Bethany's life. 
We've already seen it in, uh, in baby McCullen's life, right? Baby's healed. Uh, you know, so God, God heals. He's still in the healing business. We believe in that, and we pray for that, and we pray according to the Scripture. But if we want to ask the Spirit, what do you want? What do you want in my life? So you, listen, y'all still with me, church? Because this is where it gets hard. So you have a job offer, a job opportunity. It makes more money than what you're making now. You know what Satan will tell you? Take it. Now, God might tell you to take it too, but don't you want to ask? It's not, don't automatically assume that God wants you to make more money. God wanted me to make less money. You know, God had numerous times led us to do, make decisions that made less money. God may want you to suffer a little bit. He may call you to do something that's hard for you. He may call you, out of, call you to do something that's outside of what you consider to be your skill set. And let me say this too, church, because this, this is praying in the Spirit. God may call you to do something that's outside of what you consider to be your spiritual gift. I, I, I really have come to despise this idea that we can get a test, take a test, and I know some of you have done it, and, and so you receive it, pray about it, and maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I hate that, that we are taking surveys to find out what our spiritual gift is. That's not according to what the Scripture says about spiritual gifts. This is what the Bible says, that the Spirit gives us these gifts as He desires. So it doesn't matter whatever moment I'm in, if I need the gift, the Holy Spirit can give it to me. I might not have ever been able to use it before. You're experiencing it right now. I am not a preacher. I never would have preached ever, but the Holy Spirit preaches through me, and I know that. He, he gives his words. I feel humbled by that. I feel very uh, insufficient for this task, but I feel filled and joyful every time I preach because I know it's the Holy Spirit. I may need to speak in tongues at some point. Uh, I have friends on the mission field who have had encounters where they used the tongue of the people they were speaking to and had never spoken the language. Now, that's rare, but it has happened. And then God may give me, I believe he will gift me if I ever need that. You know, that's a, that's a rare gift. But that's a gift of tongues in a very practical situation. Uh, gift of healing. Again, God may apply it in a moment. Just trust that it's the Spirit. But we need to be asking the Spirit, is this the job you have for me? Is this the job where you would have me to be? Is this the... the neighborhood you would have me to live in? Is this the house that you want for us? Is this the car that you'd have us to buy? I mean, you, you don't get crazy about it. Is this the, you know, shoes you want me to buy or socks? And, you know, I really like these tube socks. Can I have them? You know, don't get crazy about it. But, you know, the, but, but, but even in those little things, sometimes the Holy Spirit will convict you about those things. That, those are opportunities for us to know the Spirit's will for us. But prayer is huge. And not just any kind of prayer. Paul, but Paul, but Paul is telling us, listen, this prayer is going to be effective in helping us to confront the enemy. Look at what happens in Mark chapter 9, verses 25 to 29. When Jesus saw that the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to him, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never, again, never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said he is dead. Now, this is right after they come down from the Mount of Transfiguration. Okay, so picture it. Peter, James, and John, man, they're on a spiritual high, right? They had this really great encounter with God. They heard from God audibly. All right, but verse 27. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he rose. And when he had entered the house, the disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? 
And he said to them, this kind can be driven out, uh, cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. There are levels of attack that the enemy will cast and will throw at us, these flaming darts and arrows that will come at us. And we need to realize that when we're experiencing that kind of an affront from demonic forces, prayer prepares us. It's the only thing that will prepare us ultimately. I mean, we have the Word of God, but we need to get with the Spirit of God and find out what His will is, how to apply these truths, and that's what gives us success against the enemy. So praying in the Spirit. Look, here's what it does. It provides us deliverance. And it also helps us to assist other people in deliverance for ongoing demonic attack. Paul, uh, Jesus prays for Peter prior to his crucifixion in those last moments. Look at what he said in Luke 22, 31 and 32. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Now, how did Jesus know that? Father told him. He knew. All right, There's, you're about to get sifted as wheat. Satan has asked to do, you, to do that. But here's what I'm going to do for you, to help you in this spiritual battle, in this, 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 this moment that, that can absolutely destroy you and your testimony. He says, this is what I, I'm doing. He says, I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So prayer in the Spirit assists in the deliverance of others. It not only empowers us, but it assists in the deliverance of other people. Pray for, pray for your church. Pray for your life group. Your life group is small enough. You can pray for everybody all, every week. Pray for them. Ask them. You know, we're, we're wearing the belt of truth. We are being open about the things that we're facing in our lives. So life groups, pray for those things. We're also going to see in the book of Acts that demonic, uh, demonic power falls where prayer prevails. Demonic power falls where prayer prevails. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time over because we're going into the book of Acts here in just a little bit. But let me just give you three quick examples. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, prior to the coming of the Holy Spirit, this was before the Holy Spirit came in power at Pentecost, Verse 14 of chapter 1 says, they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and the Mary, and mother, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, prior to the church coming to life, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching in verse 42, and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They were committed to prayer. Acts chapter 3, verse 1, when Peter and John heals a crippled man at the gate beautiful, this is after the 3,000 have been saved and after the church has come alive. In Acts chapter 3, it says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the, af- in the afternoon. They were committed to praying twice a day. They were going to the temple to pray when they encountered this guy. And on through the book of Acts, as we're going to study, you're going to notice that prayer is a necessary part of the successful defeat of the enemy's tactics. Now, we must be church involved in spirit-led prayer if we're going to become a community that blesses. Y'all with me still? We must be involved in spirit-led prayer if we're going to be that kind of community. Satan and Satan's attacks will be defeated as we connect with the Spirit of God, each one of us individually and all of us corporately, and we agree with him in prayer for this move of God in our community. That 120 were committed to constantly praying. So let's just look. We're not talking about, we are not talking about empty, rote prayers. We're talking about 
Now, I mean, that's not going to bring the, the type of deliverance that we're talking about, right? We're talking, you know, deliverance is going to come through prayers that are consistent, intense, and strategic. And he shows us that in our passage in, in Ephesians. Consistent. Our pastor spoke, mentioned praying at all times in verse 18. Pray at all times, he says. It's consistent. And, you know, Paul tells the church at Thessalonica about praying without ceasing. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 19, look at it. Here's, the, here, here's some things to do, right, in battle, in hand-to-hand combat. Again, he's telling another church the same things. Rejoice, always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. <laughs> right? Pray in the Spirit. Pray according to the Spirit and without ceasing. What does that look like? Does it mean I'm, I'm walking around on my knees, praying all the time? We all know it's not that. What is it? It is constantly being aware and open to the Spirit, the, the realm of Word of God coming into, that, into our lives as we are being attacked every day, moment by moment by the enemy to destroy the things that God wants to do in this community and in our lives personally. Moment by moment. We're in constant contact, constant communication with God. He's able to communicate with us. We're talking back to Him. It is constant communication. It doesn't have to be in the King James Version. It doesn't have to be in any kind of formal prayer. You can say, God help. God thanks. <laughs> and that's, a great, that's two great prayers right there. Right? Just talk to the Lord. Be aware of the Spirit's presence, moving with Him through life. So it needs to be consistent. It needs to be intense. Our passage goes uh, in verse 18. It goes on to include the intensity of prayer. Look at it in uh, the B part of Ephesians 6, 18. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, make, making supplication for the saints. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. It's intense prayer. It, it, it is not random, oh, I have to say my prayer today. I had somebody um, this past week who I've been spending some time with uh, who's, who shared with me, uh, I was t- sharing with him the truth that we don't have to uh, ask Jesus to forgive our sins in order to be forgiven. You know, in, in, in 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 it says, confess your sins and he is faithful and just and will forgive you your sins. And I've heard it preached you know, if you don't confess your sins, then he won't forgive you. So make sure you confess every sin. Or if you die and there's a sin you haven't confessed, then, then you won't be forgiven for that. Well, if there's any unforgiven sin in your life, church, you are separated from God. Your forgiveness is not based on your confession. That's one-time confession. If you go to the context of 1 John 1, what he's saying is, if you think you don't have sin, which the Pharisees did, if you think you haven't sinned, then you make God out to be a liar, and the truth is not in you. But if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive you of all your sins, past, present, and future. He will take your sins, the Scripture says, and cast them as far as the east is from the west. He will cast them into the depths of the sea, hide them behind his back so you can't see them. They are no more. Your sins are gone, and the righteousness of Christ has been given to you. God took our sins, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. God made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin and made us to be the righteousness of God in him. He gave us perfection through the perfect, the perfect life of Christ. So we find ourselves in him, not on our own. 
And so we're, we're free of sin. But this constant, consistent prayer needs to be a part of our lives. We need to be strategic, or we need to be intense in our prayer. We need to persevere in prayer. That stuff is going on all the time. We, we, Satan is always attacking. We need to be intense and then strategic. Also in this verse, the, the C part of verse 18, Paul gives specific things to pray for for him. He, he wants them to pray for his boldness to proclaim the gospel in hard situations. And so he says this in verses 18C through 20. To that end, again, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So it's strategic prayer. You know, I want to ask you, church, I want to ask you to pray strategically for yourself. Don't leave things out. You know, Satan wants you to leave out those things that you want to hold on to, those sins that you want to hold on to, that life that you have determined that you're going to walk in, regardless of the fact that you know the Scripture and what God's Word says it's not good for you. Walk in obedience to what God says. Walk in obedience. Be strategic. Make a plan. You know, Satan's strategic, but God tells us that, that you will never be tempted beyond what you're able to withstand, but with every temptation, God will provide you a way of escape. And the way of escape sometimes is in, is in your preparation beforehand. I think some of us think that God's just going to automatically put some truth into our heads without us setting our minds on His truth. And we're not ready if we're not living our lives in the Word of God, if we're not filling our brains with His Word, and we're not learning to be sensitive to the Spirit's moment-by-moment promptings and learning to be sensitive as to the Spirit speaking through other believers, through prayer, through circumstances, and then through His Word. We need to practice those things, put those things in practice. Be strategic, get ready. We, you know, this whole time, these last four Sundays have been all about us having a strategy for defeating the enemy. I hope it's helped you. I hope you apply these things. We need to appropriate these things. Knowing them in our heads is not enough. I hope you see that. When it comes to this hand-to-hand combat, which every member, every person who wants to be a, t- a part of the Gathering Place West, you automatically are invited to be a part of this spiritual warfare at the highest level because it's coming. Now, you don't have to be here. This doesn't have to be your church. But if you want to be here, get ready. If you want to be actively involved here, be a part of this church's movement, the movement of God here, get ready for battle. It's coming. You don't have to fear Be acutely aware of his tactics, but also don't fear. Know that he's already defeated, right? But let's apply the things that we've heard today, okay? Put on your helmet of salvation. Get your sword of the Spirit. Read the Word of God. Get the tactics ready for every attack of the enemy. Start where you're hurting now. Start where he's getting you now. Fill your mind with truth and be prepared for battle, all right? You are fighting from the place of victory. There's no reason for you to fall prey to the enemy's tactics again. Now, right now, today, as you walk out of this building, or maybe before you even leave, he's going to give you an attack. And in his mind, he's thinking, oh, yeah, I got these guys. I got them. Just like when he flooded this sanctuary and filled our, filled our halls up with water. He thought he had us, didn't he? But he didn't. And in your life, he knows how to get you, and he thinks he's got you, and he thinks, I'm going to make them forget this before they walk out. And I'm going to make them forget it before they ever apply it. And I've got these guys. And, and 
And they're, and they're, and you know, Satan thinks right now that he's got this church and we're not going to make a difference in this community. He's wrong. He's wrong. And you can be a part of it. All right. Let me pray for you. And then we'll worship some more. Father, thank you for providing for us victory over the enemy. Thank you that, that you are, whether the song says it or not, that you have taken his head and you are carrying it away in, in uh, victory and that we have nothing to fear because we're your children. We're in this battle with you and your spirit empowers us, fills us with all that we need for victory. Well, God, you've given us truth in your word today that we need to apply. So I pray for every person here that you will, first of all, help us to put on the helmet of salvation. There are lies the enemy is telling us. He's trying to get us to walk in sin. Like, Tim, like Paul told Timothy to turn aside the myths, to gather around us people who say the things that our, ears, our, our sinful ears, our fleshly ears want to hear, and we're turning away from truth and turning aside the myths. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal truth to every person here, that we would see our sin for what it is. And Lord, that you would empower us as you promised in this passage. Empower us with your, the written word as we study. Uh, God, empower us with your written word as we sing your word and pray your word. But Father, also that your spirit, your realm of word would come to us in this moment right now for the sin that you've identified in our life. And that we would find the power and the willingness, Lord, as you promise again in your word, that you would work in us to will and to, to work according to your good pleasure. So, Lord, do that right now in this place. Set us free today. Lord, help us to walk in the victory that we have in Christ, not for our sakes, but for the sake of your kingdom on this, on this earth. And then we get to enjoy, Father, the joy that comes through obedience, the abundant life that Jesus promised. And then we also know that your word says that your joy will be in us. And so we, we want that as a church. This, this town needs joy. God, people in this town need joy. We, we can't live our lives the way we're living it, Lord, and, and hide the potential joy that this, that this city could experience. Help us to, to live it, to find it through our obedience our abiding in you. We worship you, Lord, in Jesus' name.